Hello everyone, Emil here with the pre-show announcements. I will keep it quick since this episode is a little longer than usual. First up, our guest today is Matt from Roleplay Chat, a show focused on discussions about roleplaying and you should definitely check it out. You will find that this episode will also be found on his show, that is because we decided to upload both episodes to both shows. So in a few weeks you will hear Matt again in a different bonus episode. Second up, Why Your World Matters 2 is now fully announced and we have an amazing guest list. Sage will be returning to hosting. We also have Matt from Abyssal Bruce known for Campfire. There is a lot of mads in this world. Sensei Suplex, a great streamer and pro GM. Mitch from Penny for a Tale, which you might know from Necrobiotic. Neo Soul God, the GM for Sigmoni Academy. And Call Me They, our wildcard this year as they do a lot of stuff. The panel will be on the 25th of September at 3pm EST and you should definitely check it out. The audio will be uploaded to the podcast in a few weeks after the panel. With that, the only thing left to do for me is to ask you guys for a nice review and follow on our social media platforms. And now, enjoy episode 32 with Roleplay Chat Downtime. Hello and welcome everybody to the next episode of Double DM Podcast in Double Time Speed 32. It is. Niels, how are you doing? I can't complain. We just recorded our main part of the episode and it was awesome. And we should get into that right away because it was so joy jolly, joyful. I don't know. It, it, it was, was a great celebration a of what we all three love to do. We We all three talked about it and it was great. But... First of all, I want to ask you, did you have a session this week? I did. Oh. It was basically just a travel session. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not a big fan of those, but I weaved in some parts of backstory, I think. I mean... Which they didn't, don't know yet. I mean, you can make travel fun and engaging by buying for whatever price campfire from abyssal brews who are great content creators and have released campfire an elegant travel system to make travel fun and engaging for your players while also leaving place for backstory and other role-playing opportunities the sad i am thing not is, paid by mad or fernando thank you uh the sad thing is about this i had the session before i knew about this why did you or- have the session before you knew about campfire everybody should know about campfire <laughs> All right. You had a travel session. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not really sure how they thought of it or what they thought of it, but they saw some stone statues on the roadside and suddenly a gorgon came out of nowhere, basically. But it was not just the typical D&D 5e gorgon, which is basically a bull, but I reskinned it a bit to be a snake because it is in the desert and yeah i will do some fun stuff with this which will not be spoiled because some of my players are listening (laughs) yay also we have a session zero coming up with you we both do so yeah would you like to elaborate on that um i mean people know from the witcher episode that we do mini campaigns like 10 sessions long mini campaigns about in a certain different system 
to first of all learn new systems, second of all uh, improve as players and GMs, and third of all for fun. And this time, at least a part of the group that was was in the Witcher session is in that game that you are in with our other players. Is Vampire the Masquerade? Yeah, I'm excited for that. I am too. Because I don't really know what to expect yet. Oh, you're gonna expect a lot of intrigue. Bet your ass I am. And I'm all for it. But I don't really have a character concept yet. I have some things flying around, but nothing specific. Let me hear them. I'm here for it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little convoluted, weird mind okay. sliver thingies. So yeah, I have to get them in a form which I can present because now it's just some weird words and syllables sometimes even too. I mean, that's uh, what session zero is for after all. We said that we want exactly. to create characters there. So there is no need to have that before that. But generally having any idea of what Vampire the Masquerade is about, which is a lot of intrigue, a lot of well, vampires. So yeah. it's gonna be fun. Um, I'm also. I also have a second session zero coming up in a bit, mm-hmm. uh, in the Fate series, which we didn't get to talk about with Matt a lot, but uh, he likes that Fate core system. I've been meaning to try it, and I've have a different game coming up, also a mini series with other players about in that system and it's gonna be a game world system so basically my players are trapped in a game mm-hmm. and are gonna play a character that plays a game character v- oh. very fun if anyone has seen sword art online lock horizon or any of these kind type of anime these isekais get trapped somewhere but still know everything f- like the meta knowledge that's what we're gonna play but and we're gonna yes. play in the uh in the virtual version of the MMO from League of Legends or from mm-hmm. Terra, because we nice. all know there's an MMO from League of Legends coming and we said well let's take the world so I don't have to do any world building for that game and in session zero we're gonna firstly focus on what type of characters there can be in this world from the universe they're gonna be firearms they're gonna be swords there's gonna be magic there's gonna be darkness and all that stuff and there's gonna be a fun one um replaying such plots because we've had these thoughts about such a game world game for like four years already as a group especially Mm -hmm. i with two other players that are in that group but we never got to play that and now we finally do i'm happy and so i would love to hear about it yeah time you have an update hit me and yeah i'm probably gonna talk about it here on the show when those episodes not episodes because it's not recorded anything don't get hyped everyone there is i'm gonna talk about those sessions definitely i'm also going to talk about the vampire sessions with you and about the other third secret campaign that we're starting Mm -hmm. i'm intrigued yeah all right shall we get into the discussion we should meet matt so we are back now with our guest today matt from roleplay chat would you like to introduce yourself yes hello hello listeners of double dm nice to nice to be here thanks for having me on the show guys uh my name is matt I'm the host of Roleplay Chat. It's a, a podcast similar to yours, discussions, deep dives on system agnostic tabletop RPG uh, topics. And yeah, I'm happy to be here to talk to you guys about whatever it is uh, we're going to dive into today. 
Yeah, thanks for being here again. One quick question though. How did you get into TTRPGs? When did that start? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I started in university. I went to university for mathematics and statistics. And there's a certain crowd of people that tend to study those kinds of things over here in Canada. I, I imagine that it's pretty universal. Um, and we used to use our student lounge to play board games. And, and one day somebody cracked open, uh, it was the third 3.5, D&D player's handbook and we decided that we wanted to get into that so we we played that probably a little bit too much might have skipped uh one or two classes to uh to play games maybe maybe not hopefully not hopefully that's uh, also something that's common around here but yeah so i, I played dnd 3.5 that was my cut my teeth on that as a player and then i started game mastering a fourth edition of dungeons and dragons which to some people's chagrin i actually loved very much it was one of my favorite editions i i really liked all the player powers and, and all that and and then yeah and then from there we just kind of everything else is history so i've been playing tabletop rpgs for about 10 years now um i would probably consider my my bread and butter to be the fate core systems and all of the kind of variants of that i find it's a very conducive system for role play which is my favorite part of the game and then yeah and i also play and i've game mastered a number of other systems i've played recently i played a little bit of pathfinder second edition i played a little bit of uh, war the warhammer fantasy role play first and second edition and and I also play in like this weird hybrid that one of my my friends made where they like took Warhammer and the Fate Core system and smooshed them together to make their own like not as punishing system as the as the Warhammer system. And and that's what I've been playing a lot of also. So those are kind of yeah, that's 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 me. That's my history for role playing games in a nutshell. <laughs> Very nice. I have to say though, because you said you went to university or college for mathematics and met people there. And I feel like that a lot, a lot of people that go into the scientific fields in university also do play role-playing games or at least a lot of board games because like, I didn't start in university. I started before that. I started in high school. But when, when I went to university with my friends from high school, we were the ones that cracked open this gaming board and said... Mm. In this lounge room, okay, we're gonna play now. And people came in like flies and we met different people from all sides. Like people that we wouldn't even have imagined in high school to play with us sat next to us because basically it was only that type of people that, that also was us. <laughs> these these nerds playing <laughs> games. We can be proud of it. We can be yeah. proud of being nerds. <laughs> I've been insulted as a nerd for a few times already in my life. And I was always like, well, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I am. I use that word daily. I'm just taking it as a compliment. Thanks, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, but I agree with you. We, uh, it's funny. We all swarmed around flies. I remember somebody cracked open that handbook and then everyone was like, oh, is that Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, I've been meaning to try that, you know, and, and I feel like lately the trend is just it's growing and growing and growing. Mm -hmm. um, I actually was wa I was walking around in my neighborhood listening to tabletop RPG actual plays and got interrupted by a neighbor and they're like, oh, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, you're not going to know. You're not going to want me to talk to you about this. And I'm like, ah, it's this role playing game. It's critical role. And they were like, oh, I know that. And I'm like, I would have never thought. So I'm happy. I'm so happy that our hobby is like expanding in that sense. Mm. But yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. Uh, well, the thing with critical role, right, is 
it's one of the su most successful Twitch streams of all time. And that as a D&D stream, once a week is an accomplishment. You really mm. have to, like, even if you don't like Critical Role, and I know people that don't, you have to acknowledge that they bring a lot of people into this hobby. And I've also heard a lot of people say that they don't like the style that Critical Role promotes of this very theater-like play. And I'm like, well, then don't play that style. Play your own yeah, style. But don't you give want. a fuck about the new people that come in and make this hobby, this passion even greater for what it is. As long as we have more people here, I am happy. Absolutely. I... I remember the dark days of not having a table to play with. It, you know, it's it's great that there's more people that are interested in the hobby for that exact reason. You can find mm. people to play with, quote unquote, easier. Like it's still sometimes tough, but uh, especially when there's lockdowns and things. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And it's funny that you talk about Critical Role's style of play, right? Because you're right; it's definitely promoting a certain kind of a certain kind of play that some people like, some people hate, some people are like they don't they they have no opinion. About about it but mm. for me that's definitely been something that i i really enjoy the theatrics i really enjoy their role play i really enjoy putting on voices which i know you don't have to put on voices to role play and vice versa but for me that's part of my fun and that's part of the atmosphere that i want to cultivate in my games so i'm going to try my best today to bring that angle to, to the show if, if you guys don't already do that but that's that's kind of where i'm coming from that when i play my games when i game master my games it's usually on this axis of like let's try to make let's try to have a cool scene between this npc and this character or a dramatic moment between two player characters who maybe have diverging opinions about something i try to get that drama out that's my fun mm -hmm. i'm yeah i'm totally trying to get there as a dm as well to try to get my group to role play a bit more if they like to or at least to give them the opportunity to roleplay a bit more. If they don't like to in the moment, they don't have to. I won't force it on them. But maybe just promote it a little bit, give them more opportunities. And if they go in on it, uh, I recently had a four-hour session, which was 100% just roleplay. We just sat there and talked in characters. I had to switch a lot between NPCs, mm. which was kind of confusing, but I enjoyed every last bit of it. It was just awesome. I mean... That's the first thing, right? Like we talked about, like some people don't or are not comfortable enough with role-playing at first. So I think my first question for this discussion would be how do you get people to role-play more, especially newer people, or how do you make people comfortable role-playing? That's a tough one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, uh, let me think. And obviously, I don't, I, I'm not like a professional game master or a professional role-player, so I don't take my, take my opinion for what it's worth. But, um, but for me, what I like to try to do to get people really excited about role-playing is... When I'm in the game master seat, just like push forward that agenda. Usually when I'm running like a one shot where I'm introducing new players to the game, the first interaction that they're going to have in the like in the first five minutes of the game, I'm an NPC with a wacky voice, with a crazy personality, and I like initiate the game with high energy to say like almost like to set the expectation like this is what I'm going to do. Match my energy if you want to. If you don't feel comfortable with this, that's okay. You don't have to do that. Um, I, I find role-playing games work on like inertia. Like they work on, if you start slow, the energy of the table is, it's hard to pick it up. But if you start fast, it's easy to keep it up. It's easy to bring it back down. You, you kind of get to control that, uh, if that makes any sense. 
Mm-hmm. It does, especially like you mentioned managing expectations, which I think regular listeners of the show know this, but I think the only big mistake I ever did as a DM was not setting expectations right for my players mm. and it destroyed a full campaign for me because I didn't set the expectation right that I want to play a spy-like game and they wanted more to play hack and slash We kill all cultists and that was a problem for us and we are now having that campaign on ice and wait maybe it will be picked up maybe not but i didn't set the expectations right and like coming in full force in the beginning of hi i'm this weird shopkeeper that you're now standing in front what do you want to buy and making it really clear that that is the type you of game you can expect in the beginning really gives them a good way to assess if they mm-hmm. are comfortable with that style. Do they instantly engage? Do they sit back and maybe observe? Because what I do is when I have a one-shot for introducing newer players, I mostly have at least one of my veteran players at the table so that they basically are the ones that can lead the group if it falls flat. And I often also talk to them about it before the one-shot. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, this, these are new people. You know that. How about you sit back? until you think you need to jump in to do something. Because it it goes to my philosophy of play with newer players. Play with new people at your table. Because the more people you play with, the better you will become as a dungeon master. Because you will know more people and broaden your style again. You, You know more people, you know how to DM for more people and for more diverse people. And these new players will bring a lot of new ideas to your table. Absolutely. If the veteran would come up and basically tell them how to open this door, how they always do it in your group for like the last six years, those new players' creativity would be stumped down and basically put into a corner and that is not helpful. So I mostly tell my veteran that is there to help these newer players. Take a seat back, just listen to it and jump in if you think that they need your help or when you can actually roleplay your character for showcasing how it's how it's done is in quotation marks because there's no right way to do it like we talked about already yeah and i mean some players don't don't want to role play yeah. that's fine you know like that's that's cool that like, they don't want to role play or they don't want to do it in first person too right there's this distinction between doing it in the first person when you're like you put on the skin of your character and you talk as them you put on the funny voice or whatever and doing it narratively saying okay my character is gonna kind of respond this way they're gonna back off and and say something to the effect of i don't want it i don't want to do that or yes i take on the mission or whatever so if if that's the case that's that's also fine uh and i like you said you you let players know that they can say or do the role play however they want but i feel like by taking the brunt of the embarrassment quote, quote uh, embarrassment right like it's not an embarrassment for me to to do the, the crazy voice and be a funny character or a serious deep dark voice blah, 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 whatever it's it sets this expectation that like okay no matter what you do it's not going to be as quote unquote embarrassing as what matt just did so people tend to open up and they feel comfortable doing that and another another way that i find to open people up to to role play is to do it in in situations where the stakes are a lot lower right if if you're doing it in an environment where the player characters are talking to like the king of some empire king of some kingdom and the stakes are really high in the game they might be too stressed out to role play but if you're doing it in uh kind of in a period of downtime if you're doing it in some kind of moment where the stakes are lower, you're just talking to the barkeeper, you're just trying to find an inn for the night or whatever, and then maybe they can just put their focus on 
roleplay and not so much about what exactly they're saying because it doesn't matter as much. I've had success doing that as well. Okay. Yeah, I know what you mean. Going with the downtime, for example, with the tavern, right? With the, with the barkeeper, then players enter the tavern and then I normally switch into the role of the tavern keep that, that looks up and says, Hey there, adventurers. What do you need? How can I help you? You need something to eat, the place to stay. And then sometimes I also say he looks especially at whatever player I want to put the focus on in that moment. Because these moments are, like you said, great for giving them a way to feel more comfortable doing it in the high stakes situation. Where if the king is talking, he's probably going to talk to the one that's either the ones that looks the most noble or most well-dressed or maybe mm -hmm. the paladin that wears the symbol of the crown itself so preparing every one of them for being on the spot in these low stake situations is really helpful and then okay he looks at you cleric and he's asking you what do you and your fellow companions need and then the cleric player can just speak up um we need Two rooms, two beds, and everyone needs a bit of the stew. And then, okay. And then I ask, okay, where do you guys sit down? And then they can decide where they want to sit down. They can narrate in the third person where they want to sit down. And then that already set the scene for the tavern. And then what I often do, for example, if they are getting in, in the tavern for the rest or sitting at the campfire is just put everything down and say, so, what do you guys talk about? And then just let them talk about anything. If they don't come to anything, I have enough another night where I can still do that. Like, if they in that one night don't want to talk about anything and just want to get to the next day, well, I can ask them after that day again, what do you guys talk about? Mm -hmm. And doing that often enough has more or less led my players to that they have at least something to talk about every night where they, they just discuss some simple stuff like for 5-10 minutes in character around the campfire with me just being silent observing. They discuss the plan for the next day. They discuss uh, what they did this day and just in character talk out what their plan is and what they want to do or what they expected to happen and all that stuff, it really helps them if it comes to a situation, like you said, where the stakes are way higher because they are way more comfortable in slipping into the role instantly. As you mentioned, when the stakes are much lower, it's easier to put people on the spot to make them feel more comfortable in higher stakes situation. I think that's one reason why the you start in a tavern start is such a classic because there aren't any stakes really and you can basically do whatever the fuck you want you can say anything you want and as the barkeep dm npc you can just put everybody on the spot as you like you can just ask a, a player character directly what they want to talk about or you can just talk to them immediately and engage them in that way in roleplay. Absolutely. I was going to say the, oh, basically the same thing because it's <laughs> it's such a canonical way to start a game, right? Just start yeah. in the tavern with the barkeep. It's this trope that I would feel bad doing with players that have played the that have been in the hobby for a long time. But if it's new players, it's almost what they're expecting you to do, I think. And they they want to see the shopkeeper. They want to see the barkeep. They want to they want to have that bar fight in the first, you know, 15 minutes of the game or whatever 
whatever it is. So I agree completely. Having that low stakes downtime setup time is a great opportunity to do roleplay. And downtime, I think, is also great for more than just roleplay, right? Like, uh, and now I think we're getting into the topic. You know, before the show, we talked a little bit about what we might talk about today. And I think downtime was our consensus for what we'd want to talk about. I know this is maybe a long segue into into introducing the today's topic. But yeah, so I, I don't know if you guys have other uses for downtime that you guys wanted to talk about. I, I might chime in with more roleplay stuff, but I, I love downtime personally. I don't know if you guys do too. I love downtime, but I'm horribly bad at implementing it. Same here. The thing is, the way my <laughs> players work is they want to go from point to point to point to point. It's hard to put a downtime in there because I, I don't know if I'm doing it wrong or if it's just not the style my table wants. And if that's the case, I'm completely fine with that. But well, you could say they, they went to a town and you could say that the time they spent in that town was downtime. But I don't know actually because they went there and they found out some stuff they then tried a lot of different approaches and then they went out again into the woods into to doing their quest the thing is i expected them to go out of that town far sooner and basically return far sooner again to then get actual downtime and yeah i don't know they they spent like five days in that town basically just doing simple character stuff and i'm talking about the gnome artificer went to visit her cousin the paladin visits his, his temple. The rogue tried to find work. The monk tried to find nothing. <laughs> I don't know what he was searching for, really. But they all had these little tasks that basically were full roleplay. Like Matt's already said, downtime is great for roleplay. Because especially when I look at downtime, I always think of this time that is not done adventuring time that is not done into in the wilds there is no danger from a monster or a bandit or whatever you just sit there and while i love downtime and it, it, it reflects in how i always hand my players castle a house or whatever i i'm planning and now all my phantoms of chaos players should not listen to the next part. Hey, wait a second, wait a second. I'm planning on giving them Vineyard. Oh, nice. Uh, a complete winery in the south of the continent where they can just have this big mansion on a hill and beautiful views. And I'm already planning into how they're going to spend downtime there because there's going to be enough place for them to basically get a production of wine going. So they could have passive income. They could tend to the gardens. They could tend to the house. And all of that stuff is basically low. No stakes, no adventure, just simply playing a character, right? Downtime is more or less really just playing the simple side of a character. Yeah, that is what downtime is for me. Playing the character without really having to play them in danger. Because normally I put my players in a lot of danger when they go adventuring. Yeah, I plan something fairly similar, but not giving them a vineyard or something, but having a huge festival of sorts in in my homebrew world with one of my campaigns where they just have one week of festivities where they can do whatever they want they can visit exotic food stands and try the food and then i'll have to come up with a recipe for something but yeah i like to do something like this maybe some games for them they, that they can play or stuff like that but you mentioned festivals i i also really like festivals <laughs> my, my players have 
been to too many festivals in their time <laughs> as players. Um, no, but festivals are, like you said, great because you can basically showcase exotic cultures, exotic food, and basically make the place where you have that fest into a melting pot of cultures and have everything in there and have them meet NPCs and let them have fun. And mm. we talked about this in the in episode 30 in the Witcher GTRPG. There is a section in the Game Master section which talks about giving the players time to appreciate the adventure because if you if they don't have time to process what happened and what is going to happen next, they will have less time to appreciate it. So having them in a tavern at a festival or in their house just sitting back for at least this long rest or whatever, drinking a beer and doing nothing but appreciating what happened, that that's going to enhance what happened. That's going to make it way more epic actually when they look at back at it because the characters also had time to process it. They don't get thrown from monster to monster to monster to monster to big bad evil guy. They they have time to appreciate what happened. They have time to forge bonds with each other and become a real adventuring party and not just some people that work together. Yeah, what, what you're saying is actually I think super important and like you mentioned a couple of things that I, I really resonated with there, both of you when you were talking about downtime. But to me, the thing that's the most critical is exactly you can't appreciate the highs without having the lows uh you can't appreciate the stakes that you like you know the danger you were just in without reflecting on it and the downtime creates this atmosphere where you can take a breath you can reflect on that you can also evolve and think about how that like how your character ought to react to the death of an npc to the death of a player character to being face-to-face -face with like this enormous demon that came out of the summoning circle or whatever. People don't get to react to those things in the moment. I mean, I guess they can, but you can't properly externalize your feelings when you're face-to-face -face with the monster. But you can certainly externalize it when you and your buddies are having a beer in the tavern. And you can be like, you know, your character's drinking their beer or they're eating their dinner or whatever. And they're like, oh my god, I can't believe we got out of there alive. And by having those kinds of interactions, sometimes they're dramatic, other times they're very mundane, but I think they help grow a character, right? They they help push a character out from just this sack of HP that hits monsters to somebody that has emotions and feelings and downtime gives them a platform to externalize that which I think is, is super fun. I have an anecdote to that because I've played in the game of the Dark Eye 5th edition uh, in a friend's campaign. I've played, I think, a 14-year-old circus girl and basically she she traveled around with this old elven archer, this gruesome orc hunter and I think a thief. Like a normal adventuring party, right? It's, it, it's this melting pot of weird people. <laughs> and she traveled with them and their first quest was retrieve this weird stone that fell from the sky. Just retrieve it. You can keep the stone, but the person that sent us there just wanted to get confirmation on their calculations that they know where the stone is gonna hit. They did. We keep the stone. The stone seems to be the focus object of some cultists. They need it. They've been chasing us all around the continent already. They get it. Finally. We try to get it back. Our elf, who was our, also our healer, nearly dies in the process. This 14-year-old girl is the one that actually through some seriously close 
roles resurrected this dude. And the other two player characters, and the other two players, and that player of the of the elf were like, okay, we need to find the stone. And and for, for, for this girl, the stone was always the symbol of her newfound family with these people, right? It was the first thing they found together and it was with them all that time. But now seeing a family member die over that object, is that really worth it for her? And And that's the question she asked herself the whole night because it was like 2 a.m. in-game at that point and they were like, okay, we will go to sleep before we go after those cultists. And then we sat in the tavern and basically it was like, does anyone want to do something? And I'm like, okay, well, she will sit there for like three hours not doing anything because she still has the blood of her comrade or, or her friend on her on her hands and her clothes and just sits there not saying anything and processing that someone nearly died over this object that has no value to us other than that, that we want it mm. and now it's gone and the next day they wanted to go after it my character didn't want to go after it anymore why right we don't need that object we don't need it for anything it's just wasted time and like, like you said she grew a lot in that simple moment of a processing what happened the night before in the tavern she, she finally had the time to process this and i was like okay i as a player i had to process that as well i, I also had to think about okay what is gonna happen what is she gonna do what what is she thinking? Because I've made my thoughts about it, but I'm not my character. My character and I are different from one another, and I portray a character in the game. So I also have to think, what are they thinking? Mm -hmm. What it, it's not it doesn't matter what I want. And that's not easy, right? Like yeah. that's sometimes that's hard to it's it, in the moment you need to take a step back and like even like between sessions be like and, and that's kind of I, I like to have downtime split. Like when I run downtime, I like it to I like it to be it, it doesn't happen too often, but I I like to have it kind of split up, especially when it's after something pretty intense to be like, look, something really intense just happened. We're going to initiate some downtime and then we're going to close the game out. And then next game, we'll continue this before we continue along on our on our way on the adventure. And it gives players this opportunity to, if they want to, reflect on how their character would react because you're exactly right like in the spot it's so hard to be like what would my character who's been through a b c and d which i have never done as a person how how would i react to that how would they react to that and what's the most interesting thing within this party dynamic to to react to right you could be a rogue character who's angsty and who doesn't share secrets with everybody and that like your gut reaction when something crazy happens is for them to internalize their emotions and not say anything. They're, they're the loner type. They're not going to say anything. But that's not fun for everybody else at the table. So sometimes you have to kind of play a little bit more. What other things would it be reasonable for my character to do that would also be interesting for other characters to react. And and so that that like internal discussion that you as a player, anybody listening, it's your, your responsibility to do. To do that during the game is hard. So by splitting it up, you kind of give the players this opportunity to think about how they want to react to something. And then the other side of this coin is you can also have character growth on like absolutely ridiculously mundane things. <laughs> because I, your anecdote, I just to kind of play the opposite, um, mm -hmm. There was this one time that I was playing with my friends and I was playing this like sorcerer wizard type character and we just had finished fighting this massive monster and it was downtime at the campfire eating dinner and my character just started to drink too much and he just started to drink too much and then I'm like you know what like it'd be really interesting for my character to be really into tea like really into like different types of teas and like green tea and this tea and like steeping it for too long would burn it blah 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 so he goes on this 
rant where he lets all of his frustration out on one 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 other player character because he's steeping his tea wrong this whole time and it's driving him crazy and even two years later that monologue like comes back and people poke fun at my character for having said that and it just created this new dimension to my character but I only felt that it was appropriate to do it because the stakes were lowered right like because it was during downtime so that's another th reason why I find downtime a lot of fun is you can add these silly dimensions to your character that sometimes become part of the character in, in like an interesting way. Something like this happened to me recently. One of my player characters a wizard I think some sort of spell slinger was roasted by a fireball -y type of spell and then in the session afterwards the whole party get, uh, got to meet the family of said character and she the, she tried to hide the fact that she was nearly burned alive but everybody tried to poke um, little things or try letting go some anecdotes about that to upset the family in a way that would make the player character upset and now through this kind of downtime thing in a whole new character arc some sort of ego boosting slash redemption arc is going to take place soon i don't know how i'm going to incorporate that yet but i think this will be a lot of fun to witness how every character interacts with the fact that she got burned twice once by words and once by fire <laughs> you gotta make it three times right third time's the charm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the thing right it's a simple downtime activity of talking to the family but it shows so much right it's yeah. a lot of it shows a lot about the character and all the characters in downtime what they would do with their free time but because if, if i think about descriptions in downtime in dnd &D, for example it's always like okay you have x amount of days between adventures what do you do with that time and i was i'm always like well that's the thing that i would think about at character creation even what does this person do in their free time time because let's face it while i work as a programmer and system developer in my real life job i sleep i have friends i meet and all that stuff and then i also have free time and have a hobby which is ttrpg my character would be the same they would also have a hobby and then i always think okay what would this character do for example with that circus girl while she isn't a bard in dnd terms because she can't cast magic yet she plays a lot of music she tries to learn a lot of instruments so when she had downtime, she would always have either an instrument in her hands or trying to sing or whatever, because that's what she would do. I have another character that's mm, this angsty brooding rogue who, okay, this is maybe not at least a hobby, but she loves to get drunk. She she loves singing sea, sea shandies as a sailor. She, she also likes playing card games, right? You have these simple things that make a character whole. And I mean really simple things. I like to play card games. My character enjoys gardening um, my character uh, has a simple morning ritual and, and and downtime is the best way to showcase those things because it doesn't take I can I can get when for example a player I've had a player that played a asthma wizard in one of my games who basically always got up when the sun was rising so he could pray to the sun for like a half an hour and he described that often enough and how you always wanted last watch in the long rest so he can watch the sun go up and that's fine right but in a downtime he really has time to play that out in downtime he was like okay there's a temple in town of my god i'm going there
there and want to pray with the priests. And then I was like, okay, do you want to describe how you guys pray? And then he really described for like 10 minutes how they are praying. And now then I made it part of the religion. So downtime gives them the opportunity to really play out simple character stuff, be it flaws, hobbies, preferences, whatever. But it also works great for world building, in my opinion. You you have a way to flesh out your world as a DM by just observing your characters because one of them says, okay, my character likes spicy food. So he's gonna, in that downtime, try to get a lot of spicy food. He's gonna go to taverns, find the best spicy food in town, which is a totally valid thing. And then I'm gonna think about with the player, why do you like spicy food? Well, it's part of the region where I come from. They people there like spicy food. And boom, that's more or less world building done. And it's organic. It's It works together. It's them really playing the character how they want to play it without me having any say over it. And it being part of the bigger world that we play in. Yeah, and the world just develops as any world would develop anyways. It just any preferences now stuck onto a region, but it, you just have one preference of a player character and make it into a bigger picture, basically. It just works super organic together. Uh, that's why I like to flesh out the world enough, but give room for people to grow my world with me mm -hmm. during downtime roleplay or preferences or character choices or whatever. That's that's awesome. That's, that's a lot of fun. I'm trying to think of of an anecdote that's similar to this and it's not it was a long time ago so it's a little bit fuzzy but as a game master i similarly like to leave gaps in in the world for my players to fill in and there i think it was a fest they going back to the festivals they, they went to a festival and i was like i have no preference as to what this festival is going to be about so i let the table decide what the festival ought to be and they decided that it was going to be a watermelon festival in a part of the world that like did not have watermelon it was like a nordic cold place <laughs> They wanted it to be the watermelon festival. So it generated all of these, almost like these traditions of how the watermelons got to the town and why they're so important. And you can only eat them this time of year because otherwise you can never get them. And these caravans that would, you know, transport them and yada, yada. And it was, it was really fun. And it was, it was funny. And that adds part of the reason why I enjoy downtime is because you can, you can make it funny without derailing. I love humor in my games, but I'm always scared that humor in a game in the wrong time will change the tone in like an irreversible way right if, if you're your your bad guy or a villain gets introduced and they their name is silly by accident or somebody gives them a, a, a fun nickname that like just ruins it then it's hard to get that tone back but if you let people like use the downtime as a pressure valve to allow humor to come out and let all the players get all their jokes out in the downtime Then when you get back to the, like fighting the bad guy, hopefully they're all joked out and their the seriousness can come back. Um, so I, I don't know if you guys have similar, like, do you guys include humor? How do you include humor in your games? And is downtime a similar outlet for you? I first want to say, give an anecdote, because I've had a six year sci-fi campaign and I introduced the main villain in like chapter four, which means for us, like session five. Hmm. Okay. These sessions also weren't weekly and not four hours long. They were like 16 hours long and like once every three months. But anyway, that villain was basically someone that could warp space and time and a lot of more stuff. But basically he stopped the main, the main, the players were agents for, for a secret organization meant to keep the world of aliens and supernatural away from the normal people. Like a little bit like the man in black, but more secretive even. And they, they met this villain and the main agent 
the, 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 the let's say main character, even though there isn't a main character in a group, but he stood up and said, how about we get a döner? Döner is a German street food. It's, it's a, especially Berlin street food. And they were in Berlin at that time. And, and I'm like, uh, shit, this villain just <laughs> said, I want to talk with you guys. So he's gonna say yes. And well, he said yes. So he took him out for a döner. And then he, he bought two döners, gave the villain one. The villain just stretched out his hand, let the döner fall, warp the ground around and let the döner disappear into the nothingness. And since then, there wasn't any other way for my players to name this character than the döner in-ground disappear maker or something. In German, uh, obviously, they have them. But basically, the one that makes döners disappear in the ground. <laughs> and <laughs> oh the name was done! I, I couldn't have, no matter what the name of that villain was, It didn't matter because they found their name, their funny name, yeah. and it was done. Though. So yeah, I definitely get that. A downtime is a good valve for letting them have their fun without basically derailing six years into the future of naming <laughs> because six years later they still named him that. And I was like, yeah, hmm. yeah there's no going back. Like they, no. they latch onto that kind of stuff. A story when the big bad just turns to into the street food man. It's just <laughs> there's just, just a bunch happens. of carts, you know, <laughs> yeah. in every town that he's in control oh. of. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, for me also, I don't have a big problem with when my players make fun of something. I, I, I mostly let it happen. They, they, they also most of the time, maybe aside from that and a few other times, they also know to control themselves and don't make it just for the funs and at least have the seriousness we actually agree read upon at character creation for the game sometimes it's an iconic one line that destroys everything and when that happens i'm okay with it because at the end we are here for fun right I, i'm not paying my players to play so i can't really expect them to not have fun so at least let them have that but normally i use like you said downtime is a good valve and gives me the opportunity to let them do whatever they want to do and have the fun they want and without having that bleed into the adventure and destroying the vibe we actually wanted to have because it's it's, it's a little weird if, if if i say to them this is gonna we're gonna probably gonna have a horror session next or we're gonna have a horror campaign and they are in this haunted house and go into this haunted house and say hey demons it's your boy <laughs> And I'm like, okay, well, the suspense is gone. <laughs> yeah, no, it kills it. It absolutely kills it. I, I remember we had a session, like, it was supposed to be our Halloween game. And I was a player, and, and I'm actually guilty of doing it. So <laughs> so maybe I'm, I shouldn't be saying it's a bad thing. I to have do, to say, anyway. everyone is guilty of it, nonetheless. Because at the end, <laughs> it's for fun, right? Everyone's want to have fun. It's totally normal. But I think especially Halloween events for TTRPGs try to get a little more goofy than regular horror stuff mm. so True. <laughs> i did this as well <laughs> yeah okay. okay matt please continue yeah so basically there was this bat we were in this crypt and there was like this giant bone creature that that the necromancer had like as his not his pet but you know what i mean like mm. the 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 beast in the cave that was supposed to be lurking around and scraping the floors and it was supposed to be very suspenseful and as soon as we found out that it was completely made out of bone we we started calling it the boner and <laughs> and that was just done like all the suspense was gone yeah. whenever we heard the scratching we were like oh there goes the boner scratching on the walls <laughs> and it was just the dot toast uh. like 
there goes all the suspense, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely guilty of it as well. I don't have an anecdote per se for that as well, but I know for a fact that in the nine years I've been a player, I've definitely done this to my DM. And I know all of my players have done it to me at least once. So it cancels out, you could say. It's just the same thing that happens. It's in good fun, right? Absolutely. Sometimes I, as the GM, am even the one to realize the mistake of, of making a creature out of full bone in the dungeon and letting the... Like, I'm the one that then says, fuck, it's the boner, and, and that's <laughs> gone anyway. But... <laughs> yeah no but uh, but anyway yeah back, if we could you know to segue back to downtime for that exact reason let all the humor out there like you said we're not professional players we're not professional game masters so even if we're of the understanding that we're going to try to be serious you know at the end of the day it's a friday night after work it's been a long week at work and you just want to let off some steam as a player so you just say stupid shit like it just mm -hmm. happens yeah um and and downtime tends to facilitate that best mm -hmm. i mean i have a question about general downtime sessions what type of sessions there are because well the most important one i can think about is the shopping session everyone everyone mm -hmm. knows mm -hmm. a good shopping session where you prepare your players for basically having a shopping trip through the shops in town to get new gear to get equipment and everything magic items and just let them more or less have that time to really think about the stuff they want and do you guys prepare for especially shopping sessions with your players do you tell them it's gonna be a shopping session what do you guys want to buy do you have any ideas do you have a shopping list or anything like that uh yeah i, I don't <laughs> really do that i just if they want to buy something they can buy something and then it usually turns into a shopping session because then they just keep remembering things they wanted to shop anyways and just keep going and keep going and revisiting shops i think like five or six times because they always forget something but i don't really plan on stuff like that okay yeah that's a good that, that i don't i actually i said i like downkind but i hate shopping <laughs> <laughs> i find a lot of that stuff very tedious like a lot of the activities that people usually associate with downtime like shopping uh you know building upkeep or like home base upkeep what's the other thing like healing right like in warhammer or in the games that we play there are wounds that stick around so like you can get hurt and then there's like a permanent effect on your character for a long time unless you go see a, a professional healer or or whatever so all that kind of stuff i find very tedious I inventory management too like what do you have on your backpack versus what do you what do you have in your chests so i as a game master I tend to allow that kind of activity to happen outside of the game. Like when there's five or six people around a table, let's do the stuff that's going to engage five or six people. And, and that's mm -hmm. kind of the understanding that my table has. Obviously, if there's like one really cool item that they want to buy or it's, it's quest specific, then they'll go and talk to the shopkeeper and we'll like act out the scene but otherwise it's it's pretty like tick tock tick like you know checking boxes mm -hmm. and like yeah you did that good everybody let's t take five minutes take care of our housekeeping and then get back to the adventure yeah uh it, and in in my game also the game that i've been running for a long time now it's a pirate pirate themed game and i gave them a ship to like right out the right out of the bat the first game they had a they had a boat big enough boat to keep all their stuff and their supplies and it's in like a caribbean style setting where most of the towns are separated by bodies of water so they're constantly when they're moving from one place to the other they jump on their boat and travel and downtime is kind of squished into one activity 
which are the, you know, I also don't like travel. So having them both, it, it was my way of being like, let's get it all done with, rip off the Band-Aid and get back to the adventure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> it definitely does, because normally when I ask questions on the show, I only want to start off discussions about stuff. So yes, it does. The thing is, I definitely, if... Wait, wait, let me ask a question first. A simple question. Do you guys track ammo in your games? Nope. No. Nope. Both no. Okay. But actually, there's an interesting thing that one of my game masters did for me once, and I loved it, and I've been implementing it ever since, is he also does, he did this thing where we got three freebies. So before going on an adventure, uh, if we said, oh, we we need to have rope to get across this chasm, mm-hmm. but we didn't explicitly say that we had it we can use a freebie and maybe a rope is like a bad example but we can be as specific as we want it can be like oh we didn't bring a barrel of flammable gas that we need to use because we need this flammable gas to start a bonfire that's critical blah blah i don't know if i'm making sense but so we have three freebies so it really expedited planning right Mm because when we're in a town and we're planning like what kind of supplies do we need to do to scale this mountain is it going to be cold like instead of thinking of all of the scenarios we know we can rely on these three freebies so if it rains we can be like okay well we brought a tarp that was one of our freebies Mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt that back to what you were saying no no that's actually a great (laughs) point because a lot of games i know do this that give the players like a thing it's always called like well, I've, I'm prepared for the job or the right tool for the job or anything like that because mm. like, I don't want to say it f- stops the Dungeon Master from fucking over the players, but it stops the game fucking over players because players, yeah. they can't prepare for every scenario. There will always be... like I've, I've been in groups that never had a rope and it, it became so boring so quick when you don't have a rope and you're in the in the mountains and you're like mm-hmm. well, we can't climb because we don't have climbing gear anymore and and these mechanics at least help with not slowing the game down it, it doesn't become the slog of well now what are we gonna do how are we gonna find a way around it it's like okay well yes we have one we don't care and that's a great way to do planning and shopping for adventures because it cuts down on the time, right? It, it definitely cuts down on the time for actually doing the planning so you can get right back into the fun stuff you want. And it's definitely a rule I thought about implementing at my table, but then I thought about the theme I want for my game, for, for my Phantoms of Chaos game. And that was to get a little bit more of gritty, of a grim, dark vibe to it. So in that game, yes, we do track ammo because there has been numerous times my players have run or could have run out of ammo which would have created a new problem for them and those are the problems i wanted them to deal with but and i think it's especially fun if you set those expectations right right i said i said to them this is gonna be grim and dark you're gonna track ammo you're gonna track hp long resting works different here you need to mm. make a survival check to even get the long rest and all of that stuff maybe you don't get along with if you don't roll high enough and all that stuff and it created new problems for them, but it also created a new way of creativity for them. Because, well, now we need to track ammo. So now we need a way to solve our ammo problem if we ever have one. Where well, we could buy 100 arrows and be safe, but then we also have to carry those. How do we do that? And then it was like, well, we have a bag of holding now. We basically have all our transportation things, all of our encumbrance and transportation I more or less figured out. We have a cart with horses, so we basically 
also can move around with more or less a moving house because they made that card so they can actually also have a tarp over it and sleep in it and all that stuff. And it created a lot of new challenges for them that we agreed upon that at these planning sessions, planning and chopping sessions as a necessity to the games, to how the game is supposed to work. But it also made them differently than for how you guys would run your games, right? They they are way more of, okay, we need arrows, we need a new bow, we need new weapons, we need you know, repairing on our armor and all that stuff. All this mundane stuff that others would just hand wave, and I would hand wave as well in other games, but in this game I wanted this, and it created a whole new set of downtime activities for them, which again goes back to, it's the simple stuff. It's mm -hmm. the paladin going every time he is in town for more than three days, going to the blacksmith and saying, hey, my armor needs repair. How much is that going to cost me? And then I'm like, okay, well, it's not going to cost you a lot because it basically would just be me draining money from them. Like, I don't want to drain the money they get. Like, I don't want Paladin from the 100 gold he gets to spend 10% on the armor repair. It should, it isn't even more or less in the rules of D&D. And like, well, yes, you need to pay around, what, three silver for that armor to get repaired. And it just adds a little bit to the play of downtime. Now the pattern has no armor, so he wouldn't go adventuring. Now he's more or less free to do whatever he wants. And I'm curious, does that... Because one thing that I'm always really worried about when I implement... Like, I totally agree with you. You don't track water unless you're going through a desert kind of thing, mm. right? Like, you, 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 if you want Grimdark, if you want it to be a survival game, you track their, their ammo. Do you find that the play players like suck the fun out of it for themselves like or maybe maybe that's too strong language but i'm always worried that when put in a situation like that even if the players don't think it's fun they feel like they will win like they, they, they're gonna do the optimal thing even though it's not fun but they know it's the optimal thing so they have to they have to grind to get what they need or whatever d has that happened or has it has it not and like I'm, I'm curious to know how that worked out for I, you i don't think so actually i think because we've gone through this more grim dark more grounded way of we are normal people we we don't have enough money we need to track our ammo because we can't just buy 100 arrows or or because my weapon is gonna break at some point or something and because death is more grim and all that stuff i i feel like they have been a lot more careful but it didn't cut down on creativity or fun mm. in any way for them because I, I think what I've learned through this campaign already is that if I introduce a set of limitations that is actually gonna enhance creativity, then actually hinder it because now they know what they can't do or what, what is harder to do. And in that framework they now have, they will become way more creative. They've found very interesting strategies already to, to circumvent some stuff that normally happens. They've acclimated very well to this new environment they are in as players and i think especially with my players they are gonna find a way to make everything fun for them there's still this moment of silliness in the game like they are in the dungeon and at, around the campfire they have they are still telling jokes at each other and and joking around a little bit but then they go back into the fight and basically the monk has only five arrows left so he's gonna switch to now to fist combat because he doesn't want to shoot those five arrows because he might need them later and mm. it creates a new set of choices for them i i don't know matt if you would agree but i've said for the last few episodes that role-playing games are about taking choices and taking risks as a 
player and player character because if you always can make the best calculated choice and basically always win what's the fun right mm. the best example i have they they were in a dungeon there was a red glowing orb in the middle and they decided to leave or at least this that was one of their options they wanted to take the other option was shoot that orb and destroy it now both options are fine in my opinion both options have their pros and cons probably for them but obviously as a dungeon master i don't want them to just leave the dungeon again after they've been in there that's just not gonna happen i'm just gonna gonna be like yeah well that's what i expected you to do i obviously wanted them to destroy that orb and they were like, we don't know what's going to happen when we destroy that open. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen because then why would you do mm -hmm. it? There, there needs to be a set of uncertainty to it to uh, make the game fun because then you take those chances and either the failing or the succeeding with those chances is what makes the game fun. And I, I feel like that these, that this ammo tracking, grim dark resting is harder that's creating way more set of those choices for my players that's actually super interesting i've never thought of it that way first i'll say i agree with your statement that role-playing games are about choices i would even go so far as saying it's about committing to choices as a player even if you don't know you know what i mean like you make a decision and you stick with it because that's what makes it interesting like if it's about a reaction to something it's never fun to be neutral it's always fun to be for or against something. Yeah. So pick one and stick with it. Commit to it because it creates an interesting dynamic. Same thing with, like you said, like you destroying that that crystal or the orb or whatever. You don't know, but do it anyway. Or or be against it and like take it and protect it. Or you know the the enjoyment comes with the extremes. Mm -hmm. And and you're absolutely right that ammo tracking and inventory management it's another choice and arguably it's an easier choice right like from a player's perspective the, the 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 consequences aren't as bad but if you destroy the orb it could be terrible so it's almost like a stepping stone it's mm -hmm. it's another set of choices players can take with simpler not simpler with lower risk i guess mm -hmm. and that, that's kind of neat now that you say that i've never i've never thought of ammo tracking in this way everything emil just described basically brings out a new set of problems for the players Mm -hmm. which also can lead to new opportunities and situations where characters can shine, even though the problem is pretty hefty sometimes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they may be able to show off somewhere a weird way of thinking about the situation or using something they have in their inventory in a relatively creative way to further the ideas or find a solution to that. There's a second question I wanted to ask with tracking ammo. I think we should wrap up the episode in a bit, but now the next question for both of you. Since you do guys don't track ammo, do your players use some stuff like alchemy fire? Do they buy that and use it? In my game, it has mostly been disregarded or just looked over because nobody has thought about it. Mm hmm but they wouldn't go out of their way to buy one alchemy fire and have unlimited ammo, if you would say the, this. But The thing is, I've realized that, that me making gear a more scarce resource for them, they've actually looked at their gear more. Like a player came to me and said, wait, there's hmm. something like throwable fire. Why have I not bought this before and i'm like well you never looked at the equipment in dnd <laughs> and I've, I've realized that by making equipment more than just stuff to use and also a resource to use that can diminish 
or replenish, they've actually gotten a lot more fond of equipment in general. Like every rogue has ball bearings, right? And and I've seen a lot of creative uses for them. But now also thinking about them buying Keltrops, which are arguably more effective than ball bearings in, for example, a, a chase scene. They've never thought about that because they're never in the standard equipment. That's the other thing you need for to play your character because they have to buy their equipment separately or at least they, they have to think about buying their equipment separately. So, yeah, because I made it clear to them that getting back to the discussion we had in the beginning mm -hmm. of setting expectations, I made it clear that equipment is going to be a lot more important in this game and they should look at equipment. They have realized that there's a lot of stuff in their equipment that they can use in a very creative way. And I think that created a lot of new creative possibilities for them. But I will say again that definitely not for every game I would run. It's 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 a little bit tedious, I, I, I will say that. So I definitely understand everyone saying I don't track that because I, normally I wouldn't too. But for this game, I was like, well, let's try it one time. And it's worked great so far. Um, do, you, do you play virtually or do you play in person for this game? We would play in person if... All of you us were fully vaccinated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the last one. Next next week, Monday, I'm finished with vaccinations and all that stuff. So now the thing is, I've talked about this a few times on the show, but I'm going to say it to you, Matt, as well. My first session in person is going to be a Halloween one-shot. Woo! Don't, don't, have <laughs> any, don't have any boners in it. Have, <laughs> well, I will have boners, but of all <laughs> kinds. Like Neil said, this show is going to be chaotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, because we are at uh, 70 minutes of recording already, I would like for both of you to more or less give closing statements on downtime. How you think about it, summarizing what we talked about a little bit in your own words. And yeah, Matt, I think you should start and then Niels and then I'm going to say the last words and we're finished. Yeah, for sure. So you can... I think you can think of downtime, or at least I like to think of downtime as an opportunity for players to reflect on all of the stressful things that you've put them through. Um, it's an opportunity for them to externalize. You know, when you role play, I think it's very important to externalize emotions, to externalize reactions. And downtime is an amazing opportunity for players to do that amongst each other, around the campfire, with the bartender, you know, when they're while they're traveling. So if you're a player listening or you're a game master listening, if you want, if you're a game master listening and you want your players to have a platform to do it, downtime is a great opportunity. And as a player, I would encourage you to really dig into those, those, those things. Your game masters will be happy to hear about how your character feels about the death of an NPC or the retrieval of an ancient artifact or something, you know, equally important. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say too, is it's also a great opportunity to release humor and to explore some of the more mundane or, you know, relatively silly things that can add dimension to your character that can add dimension to the world. So, you know, take, take downtime for what it's worth and don't just treat it as a checklist of inventory i would say focus more on the role play you can you can always do your checklist stuff you know when you're you know off off the table just you and the game master or whatever that, that's my opinion yeah i basically can just agree to all that has been said right now and just add that as a dm you can use downtime with low stakes to encourage role play in your players to give them uh, backstory plots possibly during downtime and can engage in role play in that way and everything that matt has just told us 
<laughs> okay, I also have to say I, have agree I agree with both of you, obviously. I think downtime really is a great opportunity for players to fletch out their character and for DMs to get to know the characters. Asking a player specifically what is your character doing in the next seven days of downtime and thinking about thinking with them about what is going to happen what is the barbarian going to do is he going to try to become the next champion of the arena and do we want to play this out what's his goal and all of these sort of questions and i would say the best advice i can give for downtime where you really don't have anything to do to the to dms is just ask players some stuff you can get, get specific with it like ask the barbarian player do you want to get to the arenas and have some fights there to to gain some money or to gain some uh, fame or you can just ask the player what are you gonna do no what are you just gonna do right you can you can ask players and Go specific. Go with specific questions, especially for newer players, because they might be overwhelmed when you tell them you can do everything you want. So just ask them, well, you have a rope. Maybe you try to break into one of the houses just for fun. We don't have to play that out, but are you trying something like that? And then they are going to think about, well, is my rogue going to do this? No, my rogue isn't the type of person that breaks into houses just because he wants to. Boom, you learn something about the character, both of you. And that's great. So with that, we are at the end of our episode. And that means I, yeah, I'm going to give over to Matt. Do you want to shout out anything? Where can people find you? And all of oh, that awesome. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you to the two of you for having me on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to having you guys join me in uh, one of our upcoming episodes. So, um, and the show, our show is called Role Play Chat. That's R O L E, as in role play, role play chat. And you can find us on any podcasting platforms. We're a, a bi weekly podcast where you, we take deep dives onto tabletop RPG subjects and try to focus on the role play aspect. We've had all kinds of fun episodes. We're about two and a half years in now, I think, of, of, of doing the show. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'd, I'd like to sh specifically shout out one of my favorite episodes where we had uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan, the, the dungeon master for Dimension 20, join us. And we had a really cool chat about comedy and improv in your games. So for those of you listening, if you want to check that out, I think it's episode... It was in the second season, episode 20 or 19 or something like that. Go check it out. He is like amazing. He's an amazing game master and his insights were really fun. It was fun to pick his brain. Um, and then, and yeah, and you can find us on Twitter. I like to do all kinds of polls. I've been a little quiet there lately because I had a new baby, but I'm going to try to pick up Twitter again. Uh, you can follow us there at role underscore play underscore chat if you want to do that. But you had Brandon Lee Mulligan on your show. I didn't know that. I, I'm, like, I, I'm like over here like, hmm, think about what I'm going to do after the episode. Well, I'm still watching The Unsleeping City <laughs> right now. I I li uh, before we started this episode, I literally just finished episode two of Unsleeping City and, and was like, hmm, I could start episode three. <laughs> do it, do it. He's That's, so great. He is yeah. so great. Like, generally, we have so many great dungeon masters out there. I am just the shit one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fall into that category too. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> Trust me, I've been a player in your campaign, in your campaigns, Emily. You aren't. Trust me. Yeah, or at least for me, I don't know how everyone <laughs> else thinks, but I think you're you're doing great. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so people can find us on every podcast and platform, mainly the one you are listening on right now. Should be the one you normally use. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Double DM Pod. We also have a Discord server, which you can find in our link tree if you want to chat with us. 
And that's been it for episode 32 of Double DM, where we talked to Matt from Roleplay Chat about downtime, roleplaying, and a whole lot of other stuff, it seems. <laughs> it was great having you. Thank you for thanks being here. Thanks for being here. here. Thanks and to the two of you. With that, the only thing I have to say is bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay. Everyone, calm down. I have to say something again. This is editing Emil. And I wanted to show you guys 30 seconds of outtakes that were done before we actually started this episode. Enjoy! Hello everyone and <laughs> the next episode of Double DM Podcast. <laughs> okay, I need to redo that one. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> okay. For those that don't know, I just dabbed and it's lost. <laughs> okay. Five, four, three, two.